Hello again, friends, and welcome to Access City Hall on the Madison City Channel. I'm your host, Stu Levitan. It's the February 2015 episode. In February 2011, Madison was just meeting its new director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development, Steve Cover. This month, Madison will say goodbye to Steve Cover as he leaves to become the director of the Department of Community Planning, Housing, and Development for Arlington County, Virginia. Prior to coming to Madison, Mr. Cover was the Director of Planning and Community Development for the City of Atlanta, Georgia, the Director of, Devel of Environment and Community Development for Fulton County, Georgia, the Director of Planning and Code Enforcement for Anne Arundel County, Maryland, and Managing Partner in the Atlanta Office of HOK Architects, a global firm. He holds a Master's of Architecture and a Master of City Planning from the Georgia Institute of Technology, where he received his Bachelor of Science in Architecture. He has seen both successes and setbacks during his tenure, and we will talk about the highs and the lows over the next hour as we welcome Steve Cover to his fourth and presumably final appearance on Access City Hall. Steve, thanks very much for being with us. Good to be here. Now, Arlington County has a few thousand people fewer than Madison. It is at 26 square miles, one-third the size of Madison. It describes itself as the geographically smallest self-governing county in the United States. So what's the big attraction to leaving Madison and going there? Well, there, there are a couple of reasons. Uh, the first being, obviously, uh, uh, the, the job opportunity was, was quite attractive. Um, Arlington County is known as probably like one of the top five uh, planning uh, departments in the country within the planning profession. It's won countless awards, smart growth awards, um, land development awards, and it's, it's always... Uh, always been considered one of the premier counties. Uh, second thing is, um, I'm originally from the Baltimore, Washington area, as is my wife. She uh, she grew up in Alexandria, Virginia, and literally our our entire family is in the Baltimore, Washington area, with the exception of us. Uh, if I were a little younger, you know, I'd probably stick it out. But uh, since I'm a little bit older and since literally our entire family is located in the Baltimore, Washington area, this was also a good opportunity to, to go back to where, where our family is. And I can tell you actually are because you do say Balmer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes. You say Balmer. Uh, now, how, how does this work when you leave a year before your contract expires? Is it like a, a team hiring a coach where Arlington has to talk to the mayor before they can talk to you? Did you talk to the mayor? How exactly does that work? Well, uh, certainly I, um, I wasn't going to say anything until I uh, even heard from Arlington County, and I did get the, the job offer um, uh, in December. Um, I talked it over with my wife. Uh, of course, you know, a big change and a major move, but um, we decided it was probably the best thing to do, uh, not only professionally, but also, you know, because of our family being there. Uh, I spoke to the mayor shortly thereafter, uh, and it was really a, a wonderful meeting. Um, uh, obviously, he was a little surprised, but um, I, I guess the one quote that I remember from our meeting was, um, you know, and he, we were sitting there in his conference room, and he looked outside the window, and he said, darn, we were just getting started. And that, uh, that really kind of hit home, and of course, I uh, got a little emotional about that. It's, it's been a wonderful uh, four years in Madison. I'll never forget when I first started here. Actually, it was February of 2011, and my first week, that's when all the protests started at the State House. Um, and all my friends from Atlanta were calling me saying, what's going on there? You're the number one story. 
uh, on television. And I said, I have no idea, but they, they really know how to throw a great welcoming party. So, uh, and anyway, uh, and as you know, I was originally hired by Mayor Dave. Um, and six weeks later, uh, the election came up and I had a new boss. And uh, I think one of the most interesting things about that was the day after the election, uh, Mayor Soglin called me at 7.45 in the morning and said, let's get together. And so we literally got together about 8, 8.15 that very morning, talked for about an hour, hour and a half, um, just clicked. I knew it was going to be a good relationship, and from that point on, it's been really a terrific four years with him. You actually anticipated one of my questions about whether or not that was a dynamic that you were all of a sudden working for the guy who beat the guy who beat you, who hired you. Right, right. Uh, interesting uh, situation. Um, uh, Chris, you never know if uh, you know things will work out. But after that first meeting when we got together, I said, "Yeah, this is this is going to work out really well." And I think it has. I'm a great believer that individuals can have a lot of impact in the course of municipal affairs. You know, you get to nations, you got you got bigger issues, but but individuals can really affect things on on a local level. Were there any planning and development issues that you think played out differently because it was Mayor Soglin for the past three years as opposed to Mayor Cheslevich? Oh, that's, uh, that's a good question. I, I was only with uh, Mayor Cheslevich for about five, six weeks, so I never really got into the groove of figuring out where, where he wanted to go. I mean, almost as soon as I started, I had a new boss. Um, uh, but what... what uh, what I liked about Mayor Salgan was he um, he really is a visionary. He, he understands what needs to be done. The city is financially sound. Uh, he's very supportive of staff, very supportive of big ideas. Um, and I think um, I think over the four years it's it's been a good run. I mean certainly, you know I think of the the Cap East District as being one of the biggest accomplishments over the uh, over the four year period. Uh, I, I remember when I when I came here, everybody said, "Oh, you know, East Washington, nothing's happened for decades. You know, we, we need to see something happen there." And and I, you know, my first response was, "Well, well, let's go. Let, let's let's start making some things happen." Well, one of the one of the benefits of, of really helping get things started was that the city had purchased the Don Miller properties, and so the city was holding property that really. I think was in a strategic location, and if we could get projects started on those properties, that would start the momentum. Um, and so um, we did an RFP for the properties. Um, Otto Gephardt uh, came in with a proposal on the uh, the 700 block, the Constellation project. Um, we saw that as the marquee project to, if it's completed, it would really get people to look at the Cap East District and, and maybe things would follow. Well, that's exactly what happened. A lot of experts said, oh, this will never fly. Who wants to live on East Washington? Well, we thought there was a market for living on East Washington. And when the project was finished, I think it was already leased, fully leased. And so um, once people saw that project uh, completed and successful, then, of course, we have the 800 block project, which is also being done by Auto Get Park. But now properties all over the Cap East District are um, either uh, they have development proposals coming in, property owners are being approached by developers. Um, 
Breeze Stevens Stadium actually was a key piece in this. Um, I know when I first came here, I'd go by Breeze Stevens Stadium every day and I'd go, wow, what a great, great structure. But all they have is seven, eight soccer games a week taking place in this. This could be a lot more. And over the next couple of years, we worked with, worked with the Parks Department to to convert the, the surface to artificial turf, which then provided the opportunity to have many more activities in Bree Stevens, uh, in addition to sporting events, festivals, concerts, plays. As you probably know, I was in a mm-hmm. in a play there with a, the local Shakespeare um, company. But um, and so now it's it's. It's a position to be, I think, a major community gathering and major community activity space, which it really wasn't before. You're getting so many development proposals on East Washington, you have the luxury of turning some down. Correct. Correct. Um, it's so important to do the right thing on East Washington, and uh, we've had a number of projects, um, you know, some of them just pure housing right on East Washington, Said no, no, we you know, we want more than that. Certainly, housing can be a component, but uh, we want employment uses and, and others that really are suitable for the East Washington corridor. And uh, and and then even a little bit farther out, um, the Yahara River, we've developed a plan for the Yahara River to revitalize it and make it a you know wonderful recreation open space. Actually, then connecting to potentially the future public market. We, we will talk about the oh, public okay. market in a minute, but okay. but on on East Washington, the the reason East Washington Avenue has been so desolate the last 35 years is because MATC pulled the bait and switch on the city of Madison in 1975. It got a referendum passed for a bonding to have the new MATC campus in the seven and eight hundred and nine hundred blocks of East Washington. They got the referendum passed, then they pulled the bait and switch and went out to Truax. And that's why things, and, and if you can just imagine how that would have been an amazing development over the last 35 Absolutely. years. When you come into a city like, uh, come into Anne Arundel or come into Madison or, or go to Arlington, do you have the ability to look back on what those actions and decisions were that created the world that you're now dealing with? Are you able to look back and say, oh, these are the decisions and actions that Madison took in 1975 or 1985 or, or 1990 that created this, and this was a good decision, this was a bad decision? Or do you, just, or do you not have the time and the luxury to look back on, on what created the world that you're now dealing with? No, no, I, uh, absolutely. You have to look back on the, uh, the history of the city, how it evolved, a lot of the key decisions that were made. I think you have to have that background knowledge before you can actually uh, make decisions and move forward with whatever happens um, you know, in this role. I mean, I've done that my entire career, and a lot of ideas from, you know, I've mean, been doing this for 35 years now, and, um, you know, all the things that you've learned along the way kind of contribute to, you know, what you do in the future. And when, when I got here in the city of Madison, I just saw so many opportunities for great things to happen, whether it's a you know, smaller project like Bree Stevens or the East Washington Corridor or the Alliant Energy Center. Um, there are just so many opportunities still uh, still ready to go here in the city of Madison. And that was one of the really exciting things about this city. Um, that's one of the reasons why we jumped into the, the transportation master plan 
the economic development strategy, the housing strategy, the public market project. There are just so many opportunities here, and, and that's uh, that's why it's it's an exciting city today, and it's, I think it's going to be even more exciting in the future. You've mentioned a couple of times. I'll, I'll, I'll deviate from my um, my text, which I guess makes me a textual deviant. Um, but I'll deviate from my text here, and uh, let's go to the public market. First, exp- I think a lot of people don't fully understand exactly what it's supposed to be and what it will be. Ex- explain the function and purpose of the public market. That's a really good question, because initially it was proposed on the, on the you know, Judge Doyle Square site uh, in, in Block 105. Um, and initially, I think the, the concept was that it was going to be mostly a retail-type function. Um, as we... As we visited other public markets around the Midwest, and I'm familiar with some in Philadelphia and in other cities, um, we recognized that it could be more than just that. And so what we did was uh, we took what we learned from those other public markets and realized that not only could we have that retail component, component, but we could also create a food district, which includes retail, which includes wholesale, which includes potentially food processing. And so we were looking for sites that, can incorpor- that could incorporate some of those other, other uses and truly create a food district. Um, and I think the site that uh, ultimately was recommended by that committee on First Street, uh, wow, you know, that could be something really special there. Well, the, um, the most recent business plan status update staff report, which sounds like it was prepared by a bureaucracy, of the Madison Public Market District, uh, on the section on equity lens and analysis, talks about um, the market should ensure maximum benefits to communities of color and low-income populations. That, to a lot of people, said, oh, Park Street, South Madison. If, you, if, if part of the function is to, is to end food deserts and to provide economic and employment opportunities um, and food to communities of color and low income, that's not East Washington. That's South Park Street. East Washington already has the Willie Street Co-op. It's going to have uh, the new market on East Washington. It's got the Jennifer Street Market. East Washington is well served by food opportunities. Why is that a better site than Park Street? Well, I think um, it, it certainly provided uh, uh, good transportation access. Um, it's um, it's a good location in terms of where a lot of the food activity was currently taking place. Park Street was another one of the top sites that was evaluated. And I think one of the things that will happen over time, and I think fairly quickly, is that in addition to the First Street site, there are going to be other public market components. Um, it's not just going to be in one location. I think there are going to be spinoffs. I think they might have different themes, different uh, different focus in, in, in other locations. So you know, I don't think that the public market's only going to be in the First Street location and that's it. There are going to be other locations that are going to spin off. And I think that's, that's actually the really exciting part of this, is that there are going to be more, um, more sites where certain kinds of public market functions will take place, and then you have this really vibrant food focus for the city. Which will happen first, a public market on East Washington or some sort of grocery store in the Allied Drive neighborhood? Oh, good question. Um, I think the grocery store will come first. In the Allied 
because it's merely a matter of, of putting up the money and, and somebody deciding that's enough to, to underwrite the, uh, the cost? Yeah, I, I, think there's, uh, I think there's a good market there. You know, what kind of grocery it will be, it's hard to say. I, I don't see it being, you know, the big mega grocery. I think, it, I think it's going to be, have a different focus, smaller, but certainly serve that area well. Uh, we're obviously working on that now, and, and um, I, th- I think that will happen first. Timetable, rough timetable guesstimate on when people will be able to shop at a public market on East Washington. Uh, I would say five years or less. And that will will that involve an, an ongoing subsidy from the city, or, or should that be self-sustaining? Well, we would uh, we'd certainly want it to be self-sustaining. I mean, there's some examples out there that are there are other examples out there where they are. Uh, subsidized by by city or local government. Uh, we really want to see something that is self-sustaining. Um, putting the financial mechanism together, uh, actually constructing the public market and putting in place, it's going to take some time, but it's uh, when, when completed, I think it's going to be a tremendous it, asset for it, the city. Is, is there a public market in Wisconsin that somebody can look at and say, oh, that's what they're talking about? Is the Milwaukee public market, what you've got in mind, or, is, or no. is there no template in Wisconsin for what we're thinking of? Yeah, I don't think there is a template in, in Wisconsin, and we looked at Milwaukee. That is strictly a retail-focused type public market. We're, we're going way beyond that. I think the ones that uh, probably most closely resemble what we're proposing, uh, Detroit has a fabulous public market uh, with, with all the other components. They truly are creating a food district. In fact, the gentleman who runs that um, actually came here and helped us out and provided us some guidance. Um, you know, I, think, I think the one in Philadelphia is a good one, uh, but uh, probably cl- most closely related to Detroit. Well, you've got a couple minutes to go get a snack because we're going to take a short pause for the cause, and we'll be back with more with Steve Cover, the, director of the, Depart- the outgoing director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development for the City of Madison, the exit interview here on Access City Hall. We'll be right back. We hope you join us. We are this close. We are this close. Two direct models. This close to making history. Of our wanting to. Wanting to. We are this close. We are this close. We are this close. This close to changing the world. We are this close to making sure no child suffers a crippling disease ever again. We are this close to making history. We are this close to ending polio. Because we are this close to ending polio. We are this close to ending polio. We are this close to changing the world. This close. All we need is you. Is you. Is you. Is you. We are this close. This close. Be a part of history at rotary.org slash and polio. Never look a howler monkey in the eye. Fried ants are delicious. We finished a clinic in our in a rainstorm. Really? My students actually ended up teaching me. In La Keg, a la Keen. Think managing a sales team is tough. <laughs> Try working with five different villages. After two months, I was ready to quit. But after two years, I didn't want to leave. I didn't know I had it in me. Turn two years of service into a lifetime of experience. To all the Peace Corps volunteers, past, present, and future, thank you for your service to your country and the world. 
Welcome back to the February 2015 episode of Access City Hall. I'm your host, Stu Levitan. Our guest is Steve Cover, who by the time this airs will be packing his bags to go off to Arlington County, Virginia, where he is taking up his new position as the director of the Department of Community Planning, Housing, and Development. Right now, he is still the director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development. I think those departments do the same things. They all just get different titles. When you came exactly four years ago and, and started in, in February 2011, um, how long were you planning to stay? Uh, I was actually planning to stay here. Uh, uh, I was looking at it as finishing my, my career here. Um, but uh, over time, it, it was pretty interesting how um, our family was moving back to the Baltimore, Washington area. And then finally, uh, uh, my daughter and her husband, who live in Atlanta now, um, they're close to having family. Um, they announced that they're moving from Atlanta to College Park, Maryland. And so uh, literally our entire family is in the Baltimore, Washington area, except us. You know, and so that was a significant factor. What were the surprises when you came? The surprises? Um, well, obviously, uh, all the protests that were taking place well, around in the terms state. Of municipal, <laughs> in terms of municipal government, what, what, what did you not expect other than having a new boss. Sure, sure. Yeah, well, that, that was a big yeah. surprise. Um, I would say uh, 20 alders. Uh, everywhere I've worked, it's either been five, seven, or nine, uh, either council people or, or commissioners. We did have uh, 15 council members in the city of Atlanta, which to me was enormous. Uh, but having 20 different council members here, that was, qu that was quite different. Um, and so because you have to stay in touch and work with 20 different elected That's officials. That's a polite way of putting it. Well, <laughs> anyway, uh, and they've been, they've been really good over the years. Um, I think, secondly, the, the approach that the department took towards projects and, and anything that was presented before the commissions and council, um, and I'd never seen this before, where staff never truly made a recommendation one way or the other on a project or on an ordinance. It was always, here's, here are the facts, and it's basically up to the Urban Design Commission or Plan Commission to render a final decision. I'd never seen that before. And I said, you know, we're, we're professional planners. You know, we're, we're, um, we've got a lot of talented people on staff. And I said, we, we should be making recommendations. Um, to these boards and to council. And so it was a little hard for the staff to accept that at the time because um, they'd never really done it before. And so, um, uh, and so we started doing that, and we did that at all the boards and commissions. Uh, at the Urban Design Commission, we never made any recommendations. Our staff prepared reports to help, you know, help guide them and give them, give them some uh, guidance on the projects that were coming before them. And so I think that's it's really helped. I think it's I think the staff appreciated that you know their uh, professional opinions were being taken seriously and being considered. Um, obviously, there were some there were disagreements along the way, but but uh, well, now, just the other night, Mayor Soglin went to the Urban Design Commission because there's been an issue on a particular project where UDC thought that it made itself clear as to what it liked and what it didn't right. like, and right. and staff. Had a different opinion, and, and there was there, there was some uh, disconnect. Yeah, well, I, I wouldn't. I mean, say I mean, are you finding that that 
the commission, the citizen commissioners, and, and for those um, who are new to the area, I should note that I'm the current chair of the Landmarks Commission, so there's a little bit of inside baseball here. We'll get to more in a bit. But are, are you finding that, that some of the commissions are... I mean, I know Landmarks, we appreciate when we get the recommendation from, from Amy Scanlon. Right. Are there some commissions that you're finding are a little... No, that's okay. You just tell us the facts, and we will make up our minds. Uh, no, not really. Um, the Plan Commission uh, certainly welcomed it. I actually had... Urban design commissioners approached me when I first got here and say, please, please prepare reports and give us some guidance. And so, and so that's what we did. And it's, it's actually going very well. Um, I mean, the, there will always, always be disagreements on projects. And, you know, sometimes we've re made recommendations and been overturned by urban design commission, plan commission, or council. I mean, that's just what happens. Sometimes, you know, the commissions uh, don't get exactly what they want, uh, but uh, but I think overall it's 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 a better process. It, it provides clear direction to the boards and commissions and council, and I think um, I think overall it's made a big difference here, in a positive way. What do you wish you had known either about Madison or about broader things when you started here? Oh, let's see. Um, I, I would say certainly how the um, how the political structure works. Um, I would say to the the uh, the amount of community input in projects probably is greater here than I've seen anywhere else. Um, mostly in a, in a good way. Um, I, I think um, there's been a little. I would say, a, a, I don't know if fear is the right word, but a hesitancy to to move forward with some really bold ideas when I first came here. Um, I mean, Madison shows up in the top ten lists for just about everything. Um, and there's a reason for that, and I totally understand it. But, uh, you know, Madison can't rest on its laurels and continue in that direction. It needs to be needs to be assertive, it needs to be innovative, it needs to think big. Um, one of the reasons why we we introduced and, and this uh, the transportation master plan, which is well underway now, uh, is that you know right now there really aren't any traffic problems in Madison when you look at other cities around the country. So why not put in place the recommendations for transportation now so that the city will be totally ready for the growth that's going to take place here. And um, and I think it's so important in the transportation master plan that some really bold ideas come out of this, um, such as maybe looking at sections in the downtown area that that are closed off to, to car traffic, uh, potentially providing um, satellite um, parking areas that then people can then take some type of public transportation into the downtown area or to the outskirts. I mean, there are a lot of innovative concepts that are being considered right now, and, and Madison needs to keep going down that path and not falling back to what's safe and conventional. In, in 1964, the Board of Regents actively considered a proposal to ban automobiles and bicycles from campus from 8 to 4 with checkpoints and, and have a monorail system to get the <laughs> students around. So perhaps they were just a little bit early in perhaps. I, I yeah. think, though, when people hear, wait, we're going to bar, we're going to ban cars from downtown, from, from the isthmus, I mean, that's, 
that's like uh, beyond surge pricing. That's uh, that's pretty extreme. Is that an? Do you think that's actually going to be something that that the city has to legitimately consider? I, I think it's something that uh, the city should look at. Um, you know, we visited a number of cities. Um, you know, obviously Freiburg's our sister city, mm-hmm. and we've been there a number of times. I mean, what a success story that is. Um, literally, their entire downtown area has closed to car traffic. The only thing that can traver- traverse in their downtown area are bikes, pedestrians, and service vehicles. Um, and it, it, it's just a booming, thriving downtown morning, noon, and night every day. You think the state, you think the legislature will let us get away <laughs> with saying they can't drive? No, no, no. Well, it's not going to happen, no, Steve. It's no, not no, going to happen. No, I know that. But, uh, you know, the basic concept, I think, can be applied in certain areas. What will you not miss about Madison? What will I or not what miss? What will you not miss about Madison and being the director? Okay, well, I was going to ask for it before him being director with the weather. Okay, well, um, but, uh, it was. <laughs> Uh, what will I not miss? Um, about the job. Oh, about the job. Uh, boy, that's a good question. I, uh, I really love this job. Uh, it's, it's been great um, you know, working with a visionary mayor, uh, working with um, a lot of good people in council, uh, great department heads, uh, great staff. Um, I think if, there, if there's anything, it's that it's that narrow thinking that I mentioned earlier about all oh, things are just fine and we don't need to to make changes. And I think a city, in order for it to stay healthy, needs to change, needs to adjust. Um, you've got the millennials now that I mean their their needs, wishes, and desires are so different than ours, and 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 we need to understand that and make the city attractive to people of all ages. Uh, so far, I think we're doing a great job. Um, there was a there was a, a seminar a couple months ago for startup businesses, and they were from all over the state of Wisconsin. And literally, 55 to 60 percent of all the startup businesses in the state of Wisconsin are here in Madison. That's that's healthy. That's really healthy. Are, are there development? Are there planning and development decisions that Madison has made? either in the four years that you've been here or things that you've been able to look back and understand that we got wrong? Are there, are there things we should have built that we didn't or things that we did build that we shouldn't have? Uh, I would say, uh, okay, projects that did get built that we shouldn't have. Um, I think we've done pretty well in that area. Particularly, I think we've elevated the quality of design of projects. That's something that was so important. Um, so I, I, I can't say there are any projects that, that got built that I would say, oh, we shouldn't, should never have done that. I mean, I can't think of one right now. Uh, projects that should have gone forward that didn't, um, I, I'll say, say, go I ahead. say the, the Gilman Street, okay. Steve Brown's Gilman Street project, uh, that would be one that, that I think should have gone forward that didn't. Be, do, you, do you see, was there something about the process that you think failed? For, for, for people who, who were not around for this, this was a project on, on the 100 block of West Gilman Street, which would have involved demolishing a 10-story 1960s 
um, student uh, efficiency, one bedrooms called the Highlander, would have involved moving uh, an old uh, frame house to to Gorham Street mm-hmm. and demolishing an eight, uh, uh, late 1800s uh, rooming house that had seen better days and building three um, uh, 250,000 square foot cubic, cubic feet buildings totaling about 750,000 uh Cubic feet. Uh, oh, cubic feet. Well, cubic, yeah, yeah, cubic yeah, feet. Yeah, that's what, yeah. t- taking down the ten-story and, ha- and having three buildings. Did the la- so you said? Did the Landmarks Commission get it wrong, or the council get it wrong? I, I think I think uh, what happened when all is said and done is is that people lost track of the vision of what what could have happened there, and and what what what's there now versus what could have been there. Um, I mean, I, you know, today, if I were to have a visitor to come visit the city and drive by those existing buildings, I, I mean, I wouldn't take them by that right. and show them as a, you know, a great, uh, great decision by the city to keep those buildings because it just is not attractive. And what could have gone there um, would have been such an improvement over what's there now. Um, and I think I think people lost sight of that, and they got caught up on other things that that really weren't as important as what what could have happened there. Is is it? And, and part of part of the debate was my impression was that you and Catherine Cornwall, the director of the planning division, were saying that the proposed new buildings met the zoning code. Correct. And correct. And, we, and landmarks commission and others were saying maybe it met the zoning code, but it didn't meet the landmarks ordinance in the historic district and the issue right. of whether or not the size, the gross volume was visually compatible with the, with the air. Is, right. it, is it fair to say that, that we have a disagreement between the relationship between the zoning code and the ancillary districts, whether or not they be, uh, you know, a historic district or, or a conservancy or, or, or a neighborhood plan or a community plan, a comprehensive plan, and that your position is that if it meets the zoning code, that that should be enough. That well, it actually was consistent with the plan too. But it wasn't consistent so, with the historic district. C- correct, correct. So uh, I mean, so that so it, and and you know, as as projects come through the process, there are always different factors to deal with. You know, and so and and it was just a disagreement between us and you know what the landmarks commission recommended. Um, but I, I I keep getting back to. What's going to happen on this site? Are those three buildings going to remain there? Or are we going to get, you know, in our opinion, three beautiful buildings located there that, that we felt would be compatible for the area? Um, and so when all is said and done, what was left is what's out there, and it's certainly not not an attractive area to go by. Do you think so, ultimately they'll come back with with essentially the same proposal or something a little smaller that... Could be approved. Good question. I think they'll come back with something. I don't know what it will be, though. I, I kept telling them, I can get you 400,000 cubic feet. <laughs> I, I can't get you a 750. I can get you 400. And, and they said that wasn't good enough. I, I think another thing I, I mean, I really would like to say here is that um, I think over these past four years, our historic preservation track record is really good. Um, when, when I look at... Um, you know some of the some of the higher profile projects. Obviously, the Frouchy project on State Street, 
where they were proposing to tear down all the landmark buildings. We actually saved both landmark buildings and, and an older building at the corner, which is now a restaurant. Um, we, uh, you know, the lamp house, we came up with a plan to, to deal with the lamp house issues. But, but I think our biggest accomplishment is one that just now is starting to bubble up, and that is when I first started here, the Garver building out by the, uh, out by the uh, botanical gardens was destined to get, was destined to get torn down. And, and over time, we convinced a lot of the leaders that, no, this building is worth saving. And now we've just received four proposals of how to do an adaptive reuse of that building on that site. And, and some of them are really exciting. And I think that's you know, another landmark building that could have gone down that now I think is going to be a really special place. Steve has teed up several topics for us to continue when we come back after these brief but very important messages. It's the February 2015 episode of the Access City Hall on the Masson City Channel. We'll be right back. We hope you join us. major legal fees, major fines, and steep insurance penalties. You could lose everything. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. And welcome back to the February 2015 episode of Access City Hall and the Masson City Channel. I'm still Stu. You're still you. We're still talking with Steve Cover doing his exit interview as he leaves his position as director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development for the City of Madison and assumes his new post as the director of Community Planning, Housing, and Development for Arlington County, Virginia. Uh, Steve, in that last segment, you teed up several topics uh, for this final segment. Let's Let's start with Garver, as you notice, as, as you noted, the historic uh, sugar mill factory on, on Sugar Avenue on the east side um, has seen not only better years, better decades. Um, it's, it might have been torn down under different circumstances. It is a city landmark. There was a proposal a few years ago for an arts incubator by the Commonwealth Development Corporation, which ran into financing problems due to the economic collapse. We now have four proposals, including a food production facility, an event center, a housing complex, and senior housing. Uh, what's the most appropriate use of that uh, facility in that site? Well, I think uh, one of the things that we uh, certainly want to focus on is maintaining as much of that building as possible in, in the development proposal. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, all four proposals are completely different. Um, 
and certainly we have to do an evaluation of this. But I think um, I think we're leaning towards a more innovative use of the building and that site. Um, and just from looking back at the history, I'm not sure if housing, uh, you know, is the right answer for that site. And um, and I think the community around there probably would have the greatest resistance to that. Um, we still have to evaluate, you know, all four proposals. Um, I, I think when all is said and done, um, I think we're going to wind up with something that uh, will really excite people. You know, and maybe it's a combination of a couple of proposals, but it's it's going to be something that's going to be exciting, I think, supportable from a community standpoint, and finally. You know, we're going to be using that land for, for a viable use, preserve the building, and uh, turn it into just another attraction and special building in the city of Madison. And a, and a new wrinkle, which I, I had not been aware of until it was reported in Isthmus, was the deed restriction that, we, that the city has to come up with replacement parkland for, for the site. How difficult is that going to be? Uh, I don't think that's going to be difficult at all. So I, I think that's kind of a minor issue. Okay. You mentioned in, in our earlier segment uh, the Steve Brown apartment on, on project on, on Gilman Street, and that really jump-started some of the discussions over the fate of the Landmarks Ordinance. The Landmarks Commission had begun uh, amending, trying to revise the Landmarks Ordinance in the aftermath of the Edgewater um, debate. Uh, do you see a need for a wholesale change to the Landmarks Ordinance or more targeted, specific, just some, some process tweaking? Yeah, I, I don't think it needs a major overhaul at all. I think it's uh, generally pretty solid. I think, um, I mean, there's certain, uh, there's certain components of it that I think need to be updated, um, maybe uh, greater enforcement for certain things. Um, you know, certainly the um, uh, allowing a landmark to get run down and, you know, the whole demolition by neglect issue is is really important, and, and I think that needs to be clearer and actually upgraded. I think our I think our rules up to this point of are, are not strong enough. Um, it also has to be fair, reasonable, and and uh, I think clarify the process and make it just make it simpler. Uh, there there's so many different components to this. Uh, I, I, I don't want to see it reach a point where it's so complex and that people don't understand it, it causes confusion. What we really need to do is clarify the process, make it easier for the Landmarks Commission to, to render decisions. Um, and then certainly, you know, after this first phase, we're going to be looking at the specific districts. And then also, uh, in our capital budget, we've identified funding to actually go around the city and identify the true landmarks and important uh, buildings around the city. When you say identify the true landmarks, are you saying that some buildings have landmark status now that perhaps shouldn't? Um, oh, no, not necessarily that. No, buildings that uh, could be landmarks, but let's say necessarily aren't designated as landmarks right now. Are, are there any major things that as you look at the ordinance now, you say, okay, that is something that has to be changed? Either the appeal process, the the vote on the council, the standards um, for considering appeals, uh, the standards for creating districts or landmarks. Are there any big ticket things that you say, okay, th we've thought about this, and and this big ticket aspect, this needs to be changed? 
Uh, I would say no, other than uh, the demolition by neglect criteria. To, to, um, to, to toughen those mm-hmm. regulations, to, yes. to make to make it a worse thing for somebody to do to undertake demo by neglect. Yeah, I, I think that's um, I think that's really important. And there are there are a lot of buildings around the city that, to be honest with you, at best look tired. You know, and then I and I think we need to we need to improve on that. Well, see, this is one of the aspects of the Steve Brown thing is the Landmarks Commission thought that 127 West Gilman had undergone demo by neglect and to have granted that project would have been essentially to reward the developer for, for neglecting the property. And I think that factored into some of that, at least on the Landmarks Commission side. Yeah, I mean, none of those buildings were landmarks. Um, and uh, uh, and actually... Um, I, you know, I still come back to what I said earlier. When, when, I, when I look at what's out there now, that is nothing to be proud of. Um, and I think what Steve Brown was proposing was going to be a major improvement over what's out there. But now. so would what we would have approved. We would have approved. We would have. We would have approved something smaller than what they wanted. Well, that but, would have still been an improvement. Right, but that was never presented. So, you, you, yeah. you mentioned. You also mentioned block the hundred block of State Street, which. The developers, the, the Frouchy development team refers to as Block 100, although technically on the city map it's, it's Block 76. This was the first big municipal issue that you dealt with when you, when you, when you came. You came in early 2011. This was proposed in the summer of 2011. And I have to say that you came in and you impressed a lot of people right away. You strongly supported the staff report. These, Jerry Frouchy is one of the most revered people in town for, for good reason as part of, you know, what he and his family have done. George Austin is Madison's favorite bureaucrat. Um, and staff felt that the proposal to tear down the Stark building at the corner of Fairchild mm-hmm. and Mifflin and, and put in a little private pocket park right. was, was bad land use. And staff disapproved of the proposal. How tough was it for you coming in brand new to the scene, realizing who the developers and the proponents were to support staff so strongly um, and take such a tough line that eventually we got such a great project out of it? Uh, it was the right thing to do, you know. And, um, you know, when I, when I sat down, went over it with the staff, you know, we looked at the different options. Um, to take down all those buildings and build something new was not the appropriate approach to that site. Uh, we, we knew that the, the landmark buildings and the building on the corner could be incorporated into a great project. We felt very strongly that that park in the corner was bad land use, particularly you know one block away from, from the square. Um, what the staff recommended you know, on that project was, was dead on, and it actually it was, it was really very easy to support um, what uh, what happened there? Because it was it was the right thing to do. Uh, I knew there would be flack from it. Actually, we got flack from just about everybody. Uh, we got flack from the applicant. We got flack from the business community. We got flack from local residents. Uh, but it was the right thing to do. Um, and I think um, and what I kept telling my staff is, I've worked with developers and individuals like this many times before in Atlanta, Fulton County, Anne Arundel County. I said, they're not going to give up on this. 
They're going to come back. They had 10 years and $10 million into acquiring the property. They were not going to walk away for good. They, they might take a step back, but when you've got right. 10 years and $10 million invested in the property and it's across the street from the Overture Center, they're going to come back. And what they came back with was extraordinary. Yeah, yeah. It, it really was actually it was better than we, what we ever imagined when they decided to come back. And, and now it's completed. Um, you know, you've got a great restaurant on the corner. From that, you know, it's it turned out to be a really successful project. So, you were, from my perspective, so good on block 76 or block 100, depending on how accurate you want to be. When you, when you first came, that's why the waterfront project on Iota Court was such a disappointment. Um, and we, ha we have to talk about that because I think that's been an elephant in the room for, for a lot of people for, for a while. Staff had a staff felt it did not meet the downtown plan in terms of it removed contributing structures to the um, as part of the, the national historic register. If you think they were contributing, well, but uh, technically they were contributing. Okay, technically. they were contributing, um, <coughs> and, and staff gave gave a very strong presentation why the project did not meet the standard. You then spoke at some length and I gotta say, I was watching that, it looked like you were re you were part of a hostage video. You you you, <laughs> di you you didn't look comfortable with all the what you're saying. Were, were you were you really Abs absolutely committed I, to what you were saying? No, no, I, absolutely. Um, you know how when you when you um, when you do something and I, I, I think back when um, when my son was trying to pick colleges and he put together this matrix of all the important things, and then he gave scores for the, the three different colleges that he was looking at. And then he looked at the college that had the highest score, and that wasn't the college that he wanted to go to. Um, and, and I think this was similar in that, you know, all the pieces were put together and the evaluation was made, but it wasn't the right recommendation. And, and I think if you look at what's out there now, um, it's probably one of the, the nicest buildings that's been constructed in the city for, well, certainly since I've been here. And it, it, it was interesting because one of the, one of the major opponents of that project came up to me and said, well, you know what, Steve, that, that really did turn out much better than I thought it was going to be. And, and that, and some of the, um, some of the, one of the sororities that opposed the project during, during the, uh, uh the process, I think 15 or 20 of them now are living in the building. And then, um, and, and finally, you know, I, what I did was I presented my recommendation. Um, the council voted on it. I didn't vote on it. It was 16 to 3 in favor of the project. So the council obviously, you know, saw something in this too beyond, uh, the, the, you know, analysis of the, of the project. I, I think the thing that Got got a lot of people's attention in, in a very negative way. Was was not that you said that the project met the plan, but that you said the plan the plan is it, it's a plan, it's a policy document, it's not law, it's a guide, not law. And and Alder uh, Sacha Rhodes Conway, I, I believe you probably re remember part of uh, oh, sure. her comments. Sure. She said, "I'm shocked, I'm appalled, <clears throat> I'm horrified." 
Why the hell do we put all this time and money in if we're not going to respect our plans? It's horrifying to hear staff say we don't have to pay attention uh, to these plans. What was going through your mind as, as Alder Rhodes Conway was? Well, I, I think she was wrong, and I think, well, obviously the council thought she was wrong, too, with 16-3 vote. Plans are guides, you know, and that's been reinforced time and time again by the plan commission. Um, I mean, in the planning field, they're not law. They are guides. Um, and, I, and I think um, if you look at the track record of the council, um, uh, the Lamp House plan, that that was a revision to the downtown plan. But no one, no, ever, no one ever said anything about that. And if you look at the, a lot of projects that have gone through the process, let's say uh, the Constellation project uh, by Otto Gephardt, that required a change to a plan. Um, and so you know, as projects come in and things come in, uh, there are going to be times when, okay, this isn't 100% consistent with the plan. What do we do with it? And, and, and I think the council over the years has addressed that pretty well. I mean, we, we approved the zoning code, and we've probably had 60, 80, 100 different amendments to the zoning code right after it was adopted by the council. So, um, you know, I, I understand her remark, you know, whether it's zoning code or plans, but I think she was wrong, and I think the council... Said so we think you're wrong too with the 16 to 3 vote. Do you think there's been, in, in terms of internal operations of the department, do you think there's been any lasting negative impact from that episode? Well, I think, um, yeah, I think in the department, um, you know, there was there was a little backlash, but I think, um, I mean, if, if you knew the whole story, Stuart, I, I think you'd have a much better understanding and. You probably would agree with what I said when all said and done, but we don't have enough time for that. But, but uh, what was interesting was that even though there was a little grumbling, um, when it was built and completed, everybody went, wow, that turned out really well. That's a good project. And, and that's, that's one of the reasons why I made that statement is that, like when I gave you the example of my son and choosing a college, the right decision was, was to to approve this project, and that's what the council did. We've just got a minute or two left. Mayor Soglin has made the obvious and best choice and, and appointed Natalie Erdman, the head of the CDA, to serve as interim director. So five years after we split the CDA and the planning job, we're now take, having the same person hold both jobs, which is interesting. What advice do you have for Natalie as, uh, as, as, as well as for your permanent successor? Well, she um, she's terrific. Um, you know, she has a really strong background in real estate and development and public policy, and I think she's the perfect choice for um, uh, for being the interim director. I, I think for whoever is selected for this position, um, I think the most important thing is to keep moving forward, be innovative, think big. Um, and, and, and when you, when you have a big idea, stay focused. Don't get pulled off to the side or deviated from it. Stay focused and keep going forward and make that big vision happen. And I think that's the advice I'm going to be giving to, um, David Trowbridge, who's managing the transportation master plan. Fantastic project manager. Dan Canelli, who's, uh, in the lead for the economic development strategy. Incredible hire and a super, super guy. 
And then um, uh, Matt Wachter, who's doing the housing plan, the housing study, you've got to th keep thinking big, keep thinking towards the future, and, and Madison will continue to be a great city and, be, and maybe even greater than what it is today. Well, thanks very much, and you can come back and see whether or not we have uh, taken uh, your advice. You will probably come back not in the winter. <laughs> this has been the exit interview with Steve Cover, the director of the Department of Planning, Community Development, and Economic Development, as he leaves after four years to assume the duties of the director of community of planning, community planning, housing, and development for Arlington County, Virginia. On behalf of everyone here at Masson City Channel and Access City Hall, I'm Stu Levitan. Thanks for watching. We hope to have you back next time.